hand out, you know, like, so, um, so, like, God, like, gave me this, bu- the book of Joshua recently, I've been, and I read through it, and then like, I, I was like, okay, I'll pr- preach a few sermons from it, and then God keeps on bringing me back. This past week, I wanted to actually read something else, but God keeps telling me to read Joshua, and so uh, we're going to continue on with the book of Joshua. Um, we've been following through the journey of the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt, and now we're w- seeing them as they are about to enter the promised land. And uh, last week, we saw the people actually cross over the Jordan River. Um, the way that they crossed over the Jordan River is very different from the way that they crossed over the Red Sea. When they crossed over the Red Sea, all they, the only person that needed to have faith was Moses. Moses basically just had to have faith for the whole people. Everybody else, they've been slaves for 400 years. And so they've been coming out of this, this mindset of slavery m- mentality. It's really hard for them to really kind of have any kind of faith. Uh, they had to see, like, God would show them, like, ten plagues. And then um, and then God would show them him parting the Red Sea, and they would actually come across the, the Red Sea. And then, like, literally, like, a few days later, they would, like, complain. They'd be like, oh, like, we don't have Edo. We don't have this, and we want to go back to Egypt. And so the, the way that they crossed into the Red Sea uh, didn't require the type of faith that they needed as they crossed over the Jordan and into the Promised Land. Um, this is a, a picture of us being saved. When we're first saved, it doesn't really take a lot of faith for us to be saved. We just have to really believe in Jesus. But then if we're really going to see and experience the fullness of what God has for us, the abundant life that God has for us, if we really want to see uh, the, 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 the promised land and, and, like, and, and the amazing thing that God truly wants for us in our lives, this abundant life, we need to have faith. There's no way, shape, or you know, there's no way around it. What's the saying? No, no way, shape, or form around it. You need to have faith. And, and, and God requires the people of Israel, as they're crossing into the Jordan, uh, Ine mentioned that I kept saying people of Israelites last week. So I will not say that. Uh, what's required of the people of Israel as they cross into the, into the promised land is that they needed to have faith. And, and, and God lays down these instructions of like what they're supposed to do. They were to let, they're supposed to let God go first. You know, the presence of God goes first, and then and they're supposed to walk out in faith with them as the priests touch their feet onto the river. As soon as the feet touch the river, the, the, the river would part, and one side would wall up, and they'd be able to go, go across. They, were, they needed to actually step out in faith with God in order to cross into the promised land. And, and there's, a, there's a consecration that happens. God says, consecrate yourselves. And Joshua says, consecrate yourselves, but God will do wonders among you through you. Right? And so... They've crossed over to the promised land, to the to the promised land, and today we're gonna we you know Sister Ina read chapter four, a part of chapter four, but we're actually gonna look at the the full book, uh, full chapter um, today, and we see that God instructs Joshua and the people of God to do something very specific. Right? They, it, 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 God tells them to set up these twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan. We're gonna read it. Um, let's read it right now. It says. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the, the, pe- the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you are to lodge tonight. Um, there, these are very specific instructions. And whenever God gives people, like, very specific instructions, there's a reason why God gives people specific instructions, right? It's not just like God just wants people to just do something, but there's a reason behind why God wants the people of Israel to do this. There's specific 
instructions and there are specific reasons beyond God's purposes. Um, there's a purpose to instruction. And these stones were to mean something to the people of Israel. And God clearly takes a moment out of the history of the Israelites for them to say, okay, you guys crossed into the promised land. Stop all that you're doing. Right? Stop what you're doing and then do this. Like, like, don't even, like, go on anymore. Don't even, like, try, try to even think about, you know, Jericho. Stop what you're doing and do this. And I believe that there's something very important that's happening here. And if something is very important to God, it should be very important to us. So let's look at why God has a people, uh, why jo- have God has Joshua uh, to do this. It says, um, Joshua 4, verse 5, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God, into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in, in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? And you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When they passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. For these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial Forever. Um, so, yeah. And the, and, the, and the first thing that God uh, wants the people of Israel to, the reason why God wants them to do this is that God, God wants the people of Israel to remember what God has done. Remember the things that happened in your life. Remember the things that, that happened in your life that were impossible, that seemed utterly impossible to you without God, that it came forth because God intervened. Because people forget. I forget. We all forget. You know, God knows this. And God saw the people of Israel leave Egypt, having seen ten, like, miraculous supernatural plagues. Like, these had to be, like, man cannot replicate what the, the plagues. The, like, man could not have replicated what, what God did through these ten plagues, right? These are like just things that only God could have done. They see it with their own eyes. They see it happen like before their own eyes. And then as they are leaving Egypt, God splits an ocean in front of them. And they actually are able to see it with their eyes and go across to the other side. And right after having this happen to them, they basically forget everything. And they go back to complaining. They go back to thinking like, oh, at least in Egypt we had meat. Let's go back to Egypt. You know, like. People forget, or if we don't forget, things that God did stops to, like, mean so much to us. It stops, it necess- we don't necessarily for- forget, but it stops to have meaning and significance in our lives. And I mentioned it last week, but a miracle doesn't have to be a miracle for everybody. It just has to be a miracle to you. And if it's a miracle to you, then you should remember it. Hold on, this, this is getting a little distracting here. For me, the miracle, there's a miracle for me that I got married, right? For a lot of people, getting married is not a miracle, right? How, how many of you think that you, who's married here? Raise your hand. Right? For AJ, getting married was not a miracle, right? He's fit, you know, good looking. Right? But for me, it was a personal miracle. It, it was a miracle that, that Nina would marry me. Because when I came to Korea, my life was in and I thought in my mind that I would never be able to get married, let alone have kids. But for me to be married and to have two kids is actually a miracle in my life. 
And, and, and so many times we have these personal miracles that happen to us, and yet many times we lose sight of them. They, they stop being miracles to us, and we forget how powerful God moved in our lives during these seasons, these amazing ways that God moved in our lives, these amazing things that God did for us, these amazing things that God set into motion, and we were able to experience like, like supernatural things in our lives, and yet many times we forget. We lose sight of them. They stop being miracles to us. And we forget how powerfully God moves. We have to remember and hold fast to the things that God has done. To remember that he is the source of our victories. And that, you know, in so many things, everything seems impossible. When things seem impossible, when things seem hopeless, that with God all things are possible. And that with God, you know, there's nothing that he can't do. And that his victories are our victories. You know? I get discouraged. I get filled with fear. I feel hopeless at times. And, in, and I never, sometimes I, 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 I fail to tap into the rich history of what God has done in my past for that to, to bring this encouragement and, and hope and, and for me to be able to have the faith at that moment when things don't seem like they're going to happen my way. Now I look at something and I'm like, oh, this is, that's impossible. And then I, I'm supposed to look back at these stones that happened five, six, seven years ago and say, you know what? Back then, that seemed impossible to me. And yet it happened. And yet God did it. Why can't God do this for me? Why can't God move for this for me? We forget. And, and the people of Israel, God took them aside and said, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to set up these stones so that you don't forget. I want you to remember it. And I believe that that what God wants them to do right here is actually something that's supposed to not just help them get into their promised land, but what they're supposed to do right now is actually what they need to do for them to keep the promised land. But then we, we realize later on, as we continue to read the Bible, that they actually failed to do what they were supposed to do at this moment, is to set up these stones and to remember the miraculous ways that God had saved them. God wants us to remember to cherish the treasure, the moves of God, when we moved us, when he touched our lives in such powerful ways. You know, throughout my seven years of ministry, you know, I, I, I've had many times where I felt very discouraged. There's been many times where I felt like, oh, I should quit. There's many times where I felt like a failure. But then the one thing that constantly helps me to find hope and the one thing that really continues to, to like, encourage me whenever I feel like, like ministry weighs me down when I got my full-time ministry call, there was this moment, this is about like eight years ago, where God took me aside in a supernatural way, and he, and he showed me with signs and wonders that I was supposed to go into full-time ministry. And it didn't come from a man. It came at the hands of men, right? It came, like, it was a Rodney Henderson. I talked about him last week, you know, Grandpa Rodney. And then it was also um, a Stephen Beauchamp, right? Those two, was it Stephen Bo? Yeah, I think it was Stephen Bochamp. They came to our church, and then there was this full-time ministry call. And they were, they were like, they were just like sitting off the side. Um, and they were, they were just, it was after they had ministered, and they were just kind of kicking back. And they're, they're, you know, sitting on the side. And then I wasn't even supposed to be at the service. I was supposed to drop off Mina at the airport. And I just happened to come by Etiawan campus just to be like, hey, let me just, let me just check out the service. I was supposed to pick up Rodney and, and Stephen, and so I just happened to come into the service, and then there's this full-time ministry call that's happening, and then I feel this, this urging and unction from the Lord, like, you need to go up there. And I was like, what are you talking about, God? Like, like I'm, a, I'm a preschool teacher, right? Like, 
like, you know, like, I don't even, I, I don't even know. And then he's like, God's like, you need to go up there. And as I started to walk up, I see from the side of my, it was like, this, it felt very supernatural to me. I see from the side of my eyes, Rodney and Stephen get up at the same time, right? And they both get up. And as I'm walking to the altar, they surround me. And then they take their hands on my chest. And I remember I, like, flipped out. And I just felt the presence of God. And I was like, ah. And then I felt, I heard God telling me, like, hey, you're going to be a pastor. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And then God was saying, like, hey, I, I want you to minister. I want you to preach. And I was like, I don't know how to preach. And God's like, I will show you. I will teach you. But I need you to, like, I need you to accept this in your heart. And I remember I tried so hard. And, and, and I got up. And I felt in that moment that God gave me this calling to go into full-time ministry. And there's been times in this past seven years of doing this church time where I felt like I wanted to quit. There's been times where I felt like, hey, like, I've got, I'm the wrong person for this job. Maybe somebody else should take over, right? But then every time the, these seasons will come, what reminds me and what, what God keeps reminding me of is that moment when God, he takes his hand and he says, you know what, this is not just for a few years. But you're going to be doing this until a lifetime. And there's, you know, I, I wanted to be a chef. And I was going to go to culinary school. I was going to, like, you know, open up a restaurant. So all that kind of went out the door. But God, God he, he, like, took his thumb and just pressed it on me and said, you know what, this is what I want you to do. And, and now, you know, I, I'm fully convinced that what I'm doing now, it may not seem like it at times for me, but it truly is what God wants me to do. And so we need to remember, because we often forget. We often lose sight. We may not forget, but it stops to have meaning and significance in our lives. And you know what? If it's from God, we have to be able to hold on to it. Now, if it, if it came from a man, if it, if it was some man giving me some advice, it'd be different. But if you know that it is the presence of God, and it's God communicating this truth to you, you need to hold fast to it. You need to remember. So let's go on to my next point. And uh, for that one. Um, Joshua uh, ch- chapter 4, verse 6, and it says, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come that, you, that what do these stones mean to you, then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The water of the Jordan were cut off. Um, and the next point that I want to make is that, there, that we are to tell others about what God has done. And one of the, the main purposes of the stones were to help teach the younger generation what God has done. And there are two significant truths that can be found in this. The first one is that God's main, like, his main way in which he wants to advance the kingdom of God is through family. You guys know that? God's main way that he wants to advance the kingdom of God on this earth is through family. Right? The parents teaching their children. Abraham was chosen because God knew that he would teach his children the ways of the Lord. Genesis 18, 19. Um, it says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So this is, this is one way that God actually wants, like this is the main way that God wants to, to advance his kingdom, right? is when parents teach the younger generations about what God has done. This is, this is his original mission for mankind was to do what? Make buildings, make tall buildings and and. and you know, like, no, what was the original mandate that God gave man? You 
fruitful and multiply. Have families. Have generations that go off from you and then teach them the things that I have taught them. That's the way that he wants to advance his kingdom. And the Israelites were supposed to tell their children when they asked, like, oh, mommy, what do these stones mean? Right? Ethan, he, he went to Australia and he came back with his Aussie accent. He's like, mommy, ninja star, right? Like, mommy, what did these stones They were supposed to tell them, hey, this is when, you know what this means? These 12 stones, we erected them. Our, our grandparents erected them when, when, we, when we were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And then all of a sudden we came to this river and it was flooded and it was, the banks had, it's like a mile long. And we were supposed to cross and then God. Like, like blocked one side of the river so that it stopped flowing and the ground dried up and we're able to cross over the river. And as God, as, as the people of Israel tell the young people about this, this, this faith and this, 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 this God consciousness and this understanding that God can do all things was to be passed on into the generations to come. That all great things come from the Lord, that God can do anything and everything. And the second truth, one is that we're supposed to pass these things on to, 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 our, to our kids. But the second truth that we can find is that there's a missional mindset to what, we, what God has done in our lives. You guys have to understand that. That there is, should be a missional mindset to the things that God has done in our life. The amazing thing that God has done for you in your life is not just for you. It's not all about yourself. It's not just about you, right? The world, it says, oh, it's all about me, right? Like hip-hop, like all about me and me and you know, I don't know. But, but the kingdom of God is saying it's not all about you. Actually, it's not about you at all. It's about God. And if God does something amazing in your life, you're not supposed to just hold on to it. You're not supposed to just be like, oh, I got this thing. I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to just, uh, you know, maybe uh, I'll write a, a blog about it that no one's going to read. I don't know, like I have no followers and I maybe – no, but the, 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 the amazing things that God does in your life, you're supposed to actually tell other people about it so that the people that don't know that God can do everything, the people that don't know that God is a supernatural God and that he can, he can make all things, that all things are possible through him, for the people that don't know that you could tell them and that they know. There's a missional mindset that we need to have about the moves of God in our lives. Our church used to do this, but you know, we used to have testimonies come up and give testimonies at our retreats and even on Sundays. And testimonies are powerful. I know people that get set free of, of certain things in their life just from hearing a testimony. Mina told a testimony in, in Sydney one time, a long time ago on a mission trip, and people cried. and They didn't even need to be a sermon. People came to the Lord and they dedicated their lives to full-time ministry. It all came from a testimony. I know people that tr- are transformed and come to to, to know Jesus Christ from one person, all they don't even have to preach. They don't have to even open up the Bible. All they have to do is tell testimony. Testimonies are powerful because it's not something that God, man did. It's something that God did. And if it's something that God did, it's powerful, right? If God did something in your life, that there is already filled with power. If God did something in your life, that there is already spiritual you don't have to make whatever God did in your life spiritual because God did it. That means it's already spiritual. That means if you if you're able to tell that to somebody, you're actually telling somebody spiritual truth. It's the word of God. It's just kind of just just different. It's just it's just a part of your life. It doesn't mean that you forget about the Bible. 
But does it also mean that we don't forget about the amazing things that God's done in our lives? If it's something that God truly did, it's powerful. It's, 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 it's spiritual. And there's, there's truth behind it. And so there, there needs to be a missional mindset to the things that God does in our lives. And, then, and the next point I want to make is, is to give them hope. When we remember what God has done, it brings us hope. Hope is the one thing that we need to keep running this race. You want to keep running this race with a diligence, like run the race that God has set before you. If you want to run this race, race hard. If you want to run this race well, you have to have hope. The Israelites were to look back at this place where they had crossed the Jordan, where God had dried up the waters of a raging river, and when they come face, like when they when they come and they look back at this this these twelve stones that are stacked up, you know, in the, in in this middle of this 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 area, they're supposed to look back and have hope that there's nothing that our God cannot do. Whenever we face tough, tough trials, whenever we encounter difficult situations, what can make all the difference is hope. Do you have hope or do you already feel defeated in whatever you're trying to do? Now, I guarantee you, if you're trying to do something and you don't have hope, the chances of you succeeding is very, very slim. You know, I talked about last week that I used to wrestle making weight and all that stuff. And I used to wrestle when I was in high school. I actually have a picture. I, I, can you spot me? Where am I? The best looking guy up there, right? I was tanned. That's, 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 the varsity, that's the varsity team, by the way, right? I wrestled in high school, and uh, I remember we used to do this thing in wrestling where we would all line up. In my freshman year, we would all line up in two lines by weight. So the lightest person in this line to the heaviest person, and then another line, the lightest person to the heaviest person. And we would face off, and then the lightest person would wrestle the other lightest person. And if you can take them down, they would keep wrestling, and the other person would, would go out and sit down, right? And they would go down this road. But there was this, there was this beast, his name was Chris Xavier. He's right here. Oh, i got to go back to that picture. This dude right here, right? I, don't know, I think it's Filipino or Thai or something. Right? This guy was a monster. He weighed 123, but he was jacked. Right? He was cut, and he was so strong. And he used to be able to beat people that weighed like 140, 150 pounds just because he was just so strong and he was just so good. He went to state. Like he was, he was, and he was very intimidating, right, because he was a junior. And all these girls liked him. And so whenever we would line up and he was on the other team, I knew that I would have to wrestle him because he would always he would always make it up to my weight. And every time I wrestled this dude, he would always beat me. I didn't even beat him once because I believe that when I went into it, in my mind, I always went into it like this is hopeless. I would always try to be in his line so I didn't have to fight him, right? If he would line up here, I'd be like, oh, I'm over here. And then sometimes he would switch. I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> right? But every time that he would be on the other team, he would always make it up to my weight. Right, I weighed about 145, and he would always beat me. And then, and then he would always get to this place where, where he, would, he, he, he wouldn't lose. He would just quit because he's so tired. He would just let the other person take him down because he's so tired. He, he would just quit. But, but like, I, wrestled, I believe I wrestled him probably like 10, 15 times every time he beat me, every time he take me down because I believe that in my mind I went into it feeling hopeless. I went into it thinking, like, oh, this guy's going to beat me. Because I was intimidated by him, right? I kind of had a man crush on him, right? This guy, he, 
He was so strong. He was so cut up. And all these girls liked him, right? It's so popular, right? And I'd be like, oh, man, I can't beat this guy. But so many times we go into things in our lives. We go into certain obstacles. We go into certain endeavors. And a lot of times we go into it without hope. We go into it thinking like, oh, I can't do this. So even though we might do it, we do it like from a place where we are, we're already defeated in a measure. But God wanted them to look back at these stones and say, you know what? I want you to have hope. But the hope that I want you to have does not come from you. Right? The hope that I want you to have is not something that you can conjure up. It's not a hope that you can make for yourself. But the hope that I want you to have is from what I did, what I can do. And I want you to look back at these stones and look and have hope in a God in me that can do all things. That's what God wants for us as we look back at the, at the testimonies that he's written in our lives, at the amazing things that he's done. We're supposed to look back and have hope that 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 we have an access to a hope that has nothing to do with us. How amazing is that? It's so great because if I had to have hope that was based on what I can do, man, I'd be like, I'd already feel defeated. I can't do much, right? I just, you know, like, I can't move mountains. I can't change the heart of man. There's really nothing I can do. But God could do it. You know, I've been praying for my dad to be saved for, for uh, since I was a little kid. I remember when I was second grade, I was praying for my dad. Like, Dear God, help my dad to believe in you. And he would tell me one time, like, I believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. And I remember at that time, I was like, oh, at least he believes in God. But later on, I realized, oh, dude, dude's not saved, right? But I still pray for him. I continually pray for him. But I go pray for him with the hope that does not come from me and what I can do. I can't talk to my dad and try to get him saved. I've done it. I've tried. It doesn't work. I pray with the hope that comes from God, that he's a God that could change any man's heart. That the words of Christ could change any man. He wants us to have hope. We're supposed to look back at the things of God and have hope. The Israelites were to look back at these stones and have a hope that didn't come from them, you know, doing whatever they thought that they could do. But it was continually supposed to help them to be remembering what God did and the hope that comes from what God did. So we're supposed to have hope. Uh, let's look at the next next point. That was it. Um, let's read Joshua 4, verse 8. I'm going to read a big chunk of it here because I believe that we kind of have to read all of this to kind of really understand. But um, actually, I'm going to read. Uh, I'll just read and I'll stop. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to a place, to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now, verse 9 is very important. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And then on verse 18, I want you guys to read 18. It says, And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the water of the Jordan returned to their places, to, to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. I don't know if you realize 
as you read this, but there's actually two sets of stones, right? On verse tw- the, the one set that the men take out from the midst of the Jordan, right? The, the God dries out the land, right? Something that only God can do. And they're able to pick up stones that they can pick up only when God does what he does, right? There's no way. They didn't have scuba gear back then. They couldn't, like, dive into the ocean, into this river and pick up 12 stones and bring them out, right? They can only do this with the hand of the Lord upon them, right? We can only do this when God intercedes. And so they're supposed to take these 12 rocks and then place them where they're supposed to rest that night. It's called Gigal. They named it Gigal, right? And so there's 12 stones that are there. It's supposed to continue to remind them. But then in verse 9, it says, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. There are 12 stones set up in Gigal, right? And there are 12 stones that rest at the bottom of the Jordan River, in the midst of the Jordan. And when the Jordan overflowed its banks, when the priests came out of the, out of the bank and overflowed their banks, those rocks were, ne- were they were never seen again. And I've read up on this, and some people say that, well, it's, it's the same 12 stones. But it's clear that Joshua sets up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan where the feet of the priests stood as God, like, like you know, parted the water. And the scriptures don't explain why Joshua set up these stones in the midst of the Jordan or what they were for. But I believe that Joshua may have done this as a monument for the ones that did not make it into the promised land. Joshua loved Moses. Joshua was alive when they had left Egypt. And he, he had seen, you know, these, these men, you know, die off for 40 years. They've seen these men, you know, these, these warriors just continue to die off and die and die. And finally Moses, who was Moses, who, who, who part, helped part the Red Sea and, and, and brought all these plagues down upon the, the people of Egypt, and Moses, who was their liberator, is not able to enter into the promised land. I believe that Joshua set this monument you know, for the people, for the ones that did not make it into the promised land. Notice God doesn't command Joshua to make this particular this monument in the midst of the river. I believe that it was a moment, is a monument that he made for himself to represent the ones that failed to reach the promised land. It's bittersweet. I believe that him setting up these 12 stones is actually something that you know, God commanded, set up these stones and remember, but I believe that this is something that Joshua did right, for himself as he was crossing into this promised land. He looked back and he thought about Moses. He thought about all these men that could not make it, and I believe that it's a monument that he made for the ones that didn't make it into the promised land in the midst of the Jordan. And I believe that this is a lesson that we can learn from this, and it's that the Israelites that crossed the Jordan were not the ones that left Egypt. God declared that none of the men that left Egypt over the age of 20 would make it into the promised land for 40 years to wander the wilderness, they all died off. And the generation of people that entered the promised land were, were very different from the ones that left Egypt. They had changed. They were not the same. They had learned to depend on God. They no longer had the mind of a slave. They came to know and understand that God could do all things and that in God was everything. And brothers and sisters, our God is unchanging. You know, like he's an unchanging God. So when we collide with our God, one entity will change, right? And if 
there's a brick wall, and, and, and I have a strawberry, and we're strawberry picking yesterday, and I throw that strawberry at this brick wall, what do you think is going to change? The strawberry is going to change. It's going to become jam, right? And in the same way, when we, when we collide with God, when we come like face-to-face, and when we are start to run after God, and when we are in his presence, God doesn't change. We change. And we have to change. Or else we're going to be left behind. We have to change, or else we're not going to be able to fulfill and know the, the promises that God has for us in our life. It's the lesson of the gospel. Either we are saved and transformed by the grace of God as we put our faith in Him, or we are buried in the waters of the world. Are we growing? Are we changing? Are we bearing fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are we stagnant? We have the same mindset that we had before we were saved. Because if we want to move with God, if we want to live our lives, the point is right here. If we want to live our lives in, in tune with God's will for us, we have to change. We have to be transformed. Now, it doesn't mean that we change ourselves, right? It doesn't mean that we, like, change ourselves so that we live in life. No, we, we are changed by God. We allow ourselves to be changed by God. We're going into his presence and through humility, through teachability, being pliable. It's like the clay, right? You are the potter, I am the clay. Remember that song, right? Well, if you want to be made into what God wants you to be, you have to be like clay. and You got to be changed. You got to flex. You got to bend. You got to yield. You got to do the things that God wants you to do, and you got to be transformed into what God wants want you to be. It's, it's, it's about changing with God and moving with God so that we can experience what God has for us. And, and my last point comes from verse 21. I'm going to read it to you. And he said to the people of Israel, when the children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? And you shall let your children know, Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And the Lord your God did, to, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And I believe that. One of the main reasons why God had Joshua set up these 12 stones is for the people of Israel to always have a fear of the Lord. This is the one lesson that I believe God wanted for his people as they crossed over through the Jordan. This is the one thing that they were to look back at these stones and remember and understand and hold as true. This is the one thing that would keep them on the right path and cause them to have the right heart before the Lord have a fear of God, to have a fear of the Lord, always and forever. For them to know that without God, the one and only true living God of Israel, without him, all is lost. But with him, all things are possible. That's the fear of the Lord. You know, fear of the Lord isn't being terrified of God. You know? that, 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 that's, that's fear minus love. Right? Being terrified of God is a having a fear of the Lord minus the love of God. But when we love God, the fear of the Lord isn't like, oh, I'm so terrified that he's going to kill me. The fear of the Lord is like, without God, I am 
nothing. Without God, I have nothing. Without God, I'm like utterly lost. There's nothing I can do. I need God. I need him more than anything else. And he's willing to accept whatever I need. And that's what God wanted for the people of Israel as they were going into the promised land. This is what God wanted them to remember as they were walking through the wilderness. I have a fear of the Lord. Remember that all things come from you. The food you eat, the clothes you have, the shoes you wear, right? Everything comes from my presence. This is what God wanted them to have as they saw the ocean part before them and the Red Sea and saying, I can do anything and everything. You don't have to worry because I'm with you. And this is what God wanted them to have, a fear of the Lord as they, they crossed and went into the promised land. He's like, hey, you're going to face opposition. Right? This, this river is just the beginning. But if you have a fear of the Lord, if you know that there's nothing that I can't do, and if you have me, if I'm on your side, you're going to be victorious. But if you don't have me, you're going to be utter failures. As long as they held on to that truth, they would be successful. It says the fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. God wanted them to have a wisdom, an understanding that didn't come from the world and the way that everybody else thought. He wanted them to be set apart, to not think like every other people that were on the earth, like the Canaanites and all the other the, the, the people in that land that, that worshiped false gods, that sacrificed their children, that did all of these like, like idolatrous, wicked stuff, God wanted them to think differently as they are going into enemy territory. There's the Canaan, right? These people were crazy. If you guys read about them in the Bible, the Canaanites, like I, I, was, I was watching, um, you know, have you ever seen that, like the, the, the Bible books and the guy draws the little pictures? What's that called? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the one on um, on Judges, right? And he talks about, like, the Canaanite. And he's like, they're just like, like, there's a reason why God wanted to wipe them out. Because they were just wicked. And the things that they did were an abomination to the Lord, right? Like, they would sacrifice their children to have good luck, right? Their very children that they gave birth to, they would sacrifice them. God didn't want any of this. So God actually wanted to drive them out completely. And, and, and so God, as they're going into this territory of Canaan, God's like, you know what? I want you to have a mindset that's different than everybody else. I, want you, I don't want your mind and your heart to be contaminated by the things that these people believe and the things that these people think. I want you guys to have a fear of me. I want you to look back and remember that I can do anything and everything, and I will do everything for you as long as you keep me first. God wanted them to have a fear of the Lord. Have a mindset that comes from knowing that God is everything. Right? And I don't know, but I want to live a wise life. Who wants to live a wise life? Who wants to look back when you're like 90, when you're like 75, I don't know. And I'm old and I'm like, you know, like I have like, you know, my hair is gone. Hopefully some of it will be there. I want to look back, and I want my grandchildren and people to say, hey, you know what, Caleb lived a wise life. The the wisdom that I want them to see my life based on is not the wisdom of the world. I don't want them to be like, oh, man, he had so many things in his life. He was so rich. You know, he 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 drove such nice cars. No, I want them to look back and say, you know what, he lived a life where the fear of the Lord, where the fear of the Lord directed his steps, where the fear of the Lord showed him the path and the decisions to make in his life. 
the decisions and the actions to come for your life of wisdom needs to come from the fear of the Lord. And this is what they needed to have as they went into the promised land. They needed to have this in order for them to hold on to the promised land. It wasn't just about going into the promised land. They were to what? Possess the promised land, right? They were supposed to not just like be in the promised land, but they were able to supposed to possess it, hold tight to it. Right? This is their inheritance. This is what God promised his forefathers. This is what God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what God promised the people of Israel. You're supposed to take this land and you're supposed to possess it, keep it, hold on to it. And the one thing that they were supposed to have in their heart and their mind for them to be able to possess it and hold on to it is the fear of the Lord. And we know, we see later on that they did not, were not able to possess the promised land. What happened? They, 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 you know, even in the book of Joshua, they're, they're defeated. The very next, you know, a few chapters from there, you see them falling into utter defeat. You see, like, like you know, they, they have a king and all these things happen. And in the end, because they were not able to have a fear of the Lord, what happened? They go into exile. The northern kingdom is lost forever. They never come out. Southern kingdom, Judah, they, they, they come out of exile, but they lose, they initially lose their land. Jerusalem is destroyed. This is the one thing that they needed to have for them to be able to hold on to their promised land. For them to remember that it's God who brings the victory and it's God who brings defeat. What brings them prosperity or exile is for them to know that God is the center of everything. That he is everything for them. They were supposed to drive out the inhabitants of the land completely. And yet what happens? We see later on that they don't drive out everybody. They, they don't drive out all the people. And then with the people that they didn't drive out starts to like mingle and be sewn into the very lifestyle that they live. And all of a sudden they're like, they're like living in adultery. They're living in, 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 in idolatry. They're living in, 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 in worship of false idols and false gods. And, and then all of a sudden, God's anger burned in their hearts. Because they were not able to look back at these stones and to remember and hold fast to what God wanted them to know and to hold on to. And I want to close with this. New Philly, as a church, we've been through a lot. Been through a lot. Some of you guys are here for the first time. Our church has been through a lot. Had our ups, our downs. We've been through the season of shaking. We've been through the season where we thought we wouldn't even be a church anymore. There's been a lot of stuff that we've been through. And 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 I believe that the one thing that God wants us to do is not to to forget everything. Right now, there's a tendency in our church like just just throw it all out. Just forget everything and start new. Right. We'll store everything out, but we can't. We have to remember what God did. Not what man did, but we have to hold fast to what God did. Think back. Recollect. How did God change you? How did God save you? How did God break into your life when there, there seemed to be no hope and bring you hope that, that could only come from God? That didn't come from a man. It came from God. We have to hold on to the things that God gave us. The one lesson that we need to learn from our past as, church, as a church and as individuals that we need to remember to have a fear of the Lord. I believe that in our church, you know, we kind of like diverted out of that path. But we, we stopped having the fear of the Lord and we started to have a fear of man. And you know, our church, we went through that season where we started to have a fear of man. 
we start to think about what other men and other people thought of us. But we need to have a fear of the Lord. We have to know that without God, we are nothing. We fail miserably, and we've seen men fail miserably in our presence. But with him and his presence, he can do anything and everything. And for us to put him above all else. Brothers and sisters, let's be people that don't forget. Let's remember to hold fast to the testimonies and the treasures that God sowed into our lives. I mean, for you guys as individuals, if you guys, some of you guys may feel discouraged right now. Some of you guys might be going through some stuff. Some of you guys might have, like, anxiety and fear. Some of you guys feel like, oh, how am I going to, like, like, how am I going to get a job? How am I going to do this? How am I going to pay the bill? There's all these things in your heart. And you might have worries. You might have, you know, like, anxiety, all that stuff. But I want you guys to, to think back. And remember all of the ways that God was there for you in your past. Look back at all of the times in your life where God showed up and his presence made all the difference. Look back at the times in your life where God showed up and then you thought, I didn't have any money. And all of a sudden, like, you didn't starve, right? You're still here, right? I believe that God wants us to never lose sight of those rocks, those stones, those testimonies that he's been sowing because those are the things that's going to help you to continue to run this race, to continue to go after it. You know, this, this, our, our Christian lives is not something that's supposed to just be like for a few years. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of being transformed and changed by God. And God wants us to hold fast to the treasures that he's sowing.